Welcome to the thrilling crime story of the Molly Dibbets case. This is one of the scariest cases in American history, when a murderer brutally murdered a promising young girl. Molly Tibbetts is a 20-year-old college student living in Iowa. She mysteriously disappeared while jogging in her area. Police and hundreds of people searched for Molly for days, but no trace was found. Eventually, a sadistic killer confessed that he murdered Molly and dumped her body in a nearby cornfield. This killer has brought a terrifying nightmare to Molly's community and family. The Molly Tibbetts case has caused shock and concern throughout the United States, especially with people living in rural areas. Join us through the door of my shadow and uncover the motives that led to this terrifying crime. You have arrived in the great state of Iowa. What is it that Iowa is famous for? It is claimed to be the spot where sliced bread was first invented, in addition to having a nice bridge. However, other than these two points, there is not much more to discuss in relation to the state of Iowa, also known as the Hawkeye State. Oh, but there is still one more point to consider. Corn, corn, and loads and plenty of it. Molly Tibbetts was a brilliant young woman who called Iowa her home state. She was known by the name Molly Tibbetts. Originally, Molly's formative years were spent in San Francisco when she was younger. It was there on May 8, 1998, when her parents, Laura and Rob, welcomed her into the world. In addition to Molly, she had two brothers, Jake, who was her older brother, and Scott, who was her younger brother. Molly had the good fortune to experience a childhood that was both caring and conducive to good health. She was blessed with two parents who adored her, and she got off to a strong start in school. Molly was only in the second grade when she encountered the first difficulty that life had in store for her. Despite the fact that everything was going well for her, things were different for her parents, and a short time later, the two of them unwillingly divorced one another. Molly's parents needed time apart from each other so the divorce was difficult to go through. As a consequence of this, Molly relocated to Brooklyn, Iowa, in 2007 with her mother and her brothers. Her mother had spent her formative years in Brooklyn, Iowa, and now Molly would have the opportunity to do the same in the same easygoing community where her mother had spent her youth. Although it was difficult for Scott, Jake, and Holly to adjust emotionally as well as physically, their parents made the decision to relocate them in the belief that it was in their best interests. Rob, their father, maintained a strong bond with his children, and, despite the fact that he was unable to be physically present with them at all times, he made it a point to provide for them in the best way he could. Brooklyn is a very tiny town with a population of just 1,400 people. It is located around 70 miles east of Des Moines. The pace of life is much more relaxed and in hurried than it is in San Francisco, which is a significant contrast to that city. Their period, during which they were surrounded by fields of maize, gradually morphed from days into months and then into years. 
Molly and her two boys had already begun to feel at home in their new community before they ever realized it. Molly would later enroll at Brooklyn Guernsey, where Malcolm Jr. was a student. The final year of high school. From this point on, however, we will refer to it as Brooklyn High School. And during her time at Brooklyn High School, Molly would develop into the person she is now in every way. She was a social butterfly who gained a lot of friends and frequently played the role of the arbitrator or mediator in any conflict that arose. Molly Tibbetts was vivacious, full of energy, upbeat, and a joy to be around. She was the epitome of what it meant to be a people person, and she possessed a pure gold heart. And while we're on the subject of beating hearts, it was in the year 2015 when Molly had her first encounter with a man whose name was Dalton. Jack Dalton, a student at Brooklyn High School who was a senior at the time, was an ardent athlete. After they had finished playing football, he and his friend were warming themselves in the cab of a pickup truck as the night wore on in the month of October. After that, other students in the junior grades approached them, and Molly was one of those students. Almost immediately, Dalton developed feelings for Molly. He laughed at how funny she was, and he thought she was adorable. They exchanged phone numbers, and not long after that, they began going to the movies and supper together. And it was from this point on that the two fell in love. Molly was head over heels in love, and Dalton felt the same way about her. Their love and dedication for one another would deepen over time. And two years later, when Molly moved away from Brooklyn to begin studying psychology at the University of Iowa, she chose to take him with her. Even though Dalton remained in Brooklyn to pursue a profession in construction and Molly resided and attended school in Iowa City, the two continued to have a steady flow of communication despite the distance between them. The two would catch up with one another virtually every weekend, and sometimes even during the week if they were able to. Molly was under the impression that the distance from her house was not an insurmountable obstacle. In fact, she whizzed through her first year at the institution, and by the end of May 2018, she had already made the trip back to Brooklyn for the summer. During her time off at home, she made sure to keep herself occupied. She volunteered her time throughout the day at a children's day camp held at the Grinnell Regional Medical Center. In the evenings, she found time to cram in some more studying in order to be fully prepared for her sophomore year. In addition to that, once the sun had gone on most evenings, she would make it a point to go for a run. When she was back in Brooklyn, she spent her time traveling back and forth between her mother's house and the house she shared with her lover, which was situated on the western outskirts of the city. Dalton, who, in contrast to students attending university, did not have the luxury of taking summer breaks. He worked during the week on most days, and the location of his job was occasionally close. On other occasions, it can be somewhere else in the state. Due to the nature of the building industry, the answer is highly dependent on the project. 
Molly was staying at Stalton's house on the 18th of July, 2018, which was right smack in the heart of the Iowa heat. He had to leave town for work, and so did his brother, so the dogs were left alone in the house. He and his brother had sheared the house. Because Dalton was working on a project that was located on Route 61, close to W, he would be away from home for the majority of the week. He would be more than 130 miles away. As a result of this, Molly assured him that she would take care of his pets while she worked and studied at his home. That day, the temperature in Iowa reached 88 degrees Fahrenheit, which is what I mean when I say it was hot. While she awaited the temperature to drop, Molly had spent the day hiding out inside with Dalton's dogs and a laptop to keep herself cool. She did this while she waited for the temperature to drop. The day was much like any other. At Molly's leisure, she would do the same things as everyone else a Snapchat a guy, look for something to eat, or browse on Twitter. In fact, there was nothing strange about it at all. And when the sun began to set, she discovered relief from the heat, making it the ideal moment to go for one of her regular runs. Therefore, somewhere about 7.30 p.m., she finished her work on the laptop, sent Dalton a selfie, changed into her running clothes, and then walked out into the fields behind the house to get in her daily run. However, Molly did not come home that evening as expected. In fact, she had no intention of going back home at all. Because he never received a response from her throughout that evening. Dalton concluded that she was just too busy to respond and had fallen asleep instead. However, when Dalton woke up the following morning and saw that Molly had not responded to his messages, he started to become concerned. He went out to see if any of them had heard from Molly, but they were in the same boat as he was. They hadn't heard a word. And she maintained her silence across all of her social media platforms. And when Dalton received a call from her supervisor asking why she'd missed a day of work, that's when the fear really started to set in. Her boss had called to inquire why she'd missed a day of work. Molly always arrived on time. At her seasonal employment, she had never been absent for a single day before. This was completely inconsistent with who I am. Molly's situation had taken a turn for the worst. But what, in particular, had taken place? He was clueless about it. In certain situations, quiet may be the most audible kind of noise, and this was one of those instances when that statement was absolutely accurate. It was as though Molly had completely disappeared from the face of the earth. And because this was such an uncharacteristic move for Dalton, her family, and her friends, the ensuing silence was intolerable for all of them. By the end of the day, both the police and the community had responded with worry, springing into action. Posters lesting those who were missing were disseminated all around the town, and the countryside surrounding the town was scoured as thoroughly as was humanly feasible. Volunteers from all around the United States helped in the hunt for Molly, and for those who were unable to personally look for her, 
internet contributions and awareness campaigns were organized in their place. And not much longer after that, Mully's own father boarded a plane in California where he lives and headed west to join the search party. In spite of this, the days continued to be long and sweltering as Iowa entered the hottest part of summer in the middle of July. Furthermore, there were cornfields in every direction, which reduced vision to the point that it was difficult to see more than a few feet ahead. In addition, Brooklyn's proximity to Interstate 80 makes it possible for her to be practically anywhere in the United States. Within a very short period of time, the tale is still evolving, and everyone is looking for Molly. These posters of a missing person are now being distributed all throughout the Midwest as the hunt for the missing individual is expanding. I hope everyone is having a good afternoon. The authorities and the family have stated that there is no fresh information to give at this time. Nonetheless, the search will continue. Molly Tibbetts, who was 20 years old and a student at the University of Iowa, was reported missing on Wednesday in Brooklyn. A neighbor reported seeing her leave the house in which she was dog-sitting to go on a run while she was dressed in shorts, a sports bra, and running shoes. The possibility of foul play is not being discounted by the authorities. Flyers have been posted all around the state and even into Minnesota, and they have been distributed by individuals. The family shared on Facebook that the investigation team has been working on several fronts, but that we have reached the point where findings take time. They promised to keep the community updated. Where exactly was she, Molly? At this point, though, nobody had any idea. There was just one sighting of her that could be substantiated, and that was from a friend of Molly's family who had spotted Molly fleeing east of the town earlier that evening. But other than that one piece of information, the authorities had nothing more to go on in their investigation. The number of days went into weeks, and the amount of money being offered as a reward for information on her location continued to increase. This total was close to reaching $400,000 by the end of the investigation, and detectives got thousands of tips as well. They went so far as to launch an interactive website to help spark the memories of the general public and look into the data that Molly's fitness tracker had collected to determine where she had run. However, in spite of all of these efforts, it did not appear that anything was discovered. That lasted until about the middle of August. During that time period, the detectives were finally given the one essential piece of information they needed to solve the mystery of her disappearance. When he was browsing through the footage of a security camera at his home in the northeastern part of Brooklyn, a neighbor of his who used to reside there spotted something odd. He allowed the policemen to view his tape, and the findings that they made as a direct consequence were quite intriguing. Take into consideration that this camera is three minutes behind. But at 7.45 p.m., on the day that Molly was reported missing, the surveillance camera captured an individual who is believed to be Molly jogging along the border street. A black Chevrolet Malibu with chrome side mirrors, 
handles, and rims was seen heading in the opposite direction of the jogger not even twenty seconds later. There was nothing out of the ordinary up to the point where the same car was seen a few seconds later on the street. And not even two minutes later, at 7.51 p.m., the Chevy Malibu was captured on the first camera, again doubling back from the direction it came towards the runner, and again at the same Chevy, same route, but this time going quicker. This occurred not even two minutes after the initial recording. The time of the jogger on the surveillance video was consistent with Christina Stewart's sighting of Molly as she was running east of Brooklyn on 385th Avenue. The video evidence and Christina's testimony suggest that it is quite likely that the person seen running was, in fact, Christina. And with that out of the way, the car, which appeared to display peculiar behavior at precisely the same time and area as Molly's disappearance, was suddenly of significant interest to the authorities. The investigators looked everywhere for the vehicle. I can't say that they looked very diligently for the automobile because the population of the town is just 1,400, but with a vehicle that stands out like that, it didn't take them very long to discover it. Only one day after seeing that film, a deputy who was on duty at the time was able to identify the automobile in question when it was driving down the road. He did not attempt to stop the vehicle and instead only followed it until the driver himself halted the vehicle. The deputy went up to the driver's window and it was subsequently determined that the automobile belonged to the person who was sitting behind the wheel at the time. He went by the name of John Butt. John was questioned about the whereabouts of Molly, who had vanished. As a result of his response, which said that he was unaware of or involved with Molly in any way, he was given permission to go. However, John wasn't able to get too far away from the cops for very long. In fact, it was only two days later that the cops came to the dairy farm where he worked, and all of a sudden they observed that he was now driving a different car, which was really the one that belonged to his girlfriend. Therefore, at this point in time, the detectives were interested in John, but they did not have any proof tying John to Molly's disappearance. Therefore, the detectives decided to invite John to the local police station so that they could ask him further questions there. John was under no duty to comply with their requests. Nonetheless, he chose to move forward with the plan anyway. They thus made their way to the local police station. You might refer to this as having cold feet or engaging in productive interrogation. But after being questioned by the police for several hours, John was forced to make a confession. The man well known as John Budd was never given that name. Instead, his given name was Christian Behina Rivera, but he went by Rivera. At the time, he was a guy who was 24 years old, and he resided and worked in a rural part of Palchik County, which is located just outside of Brooklyn. John or Christian came to the United States when he was 17 years old, but he did so illegally. They were both born in the state of Guerrero in Mexico. 
He was breaking the law by working in the United States and had found a way to get around the regulations. Since arriving in the United States, Christian has held jobs on a few different farms around the state of Iowa, where he has been a resident for several years. His location of employment at the time was Yerebi Farm, which is located close to Broken, Iowa. Back in the questioning room, the detectives were beginning to feel more at ease with Christian. They asked him if he knew where Molly was, and as they were doing so, he acknowledged that he had in fact seen her on the evening that she went missing. He stated that he had seen Molly before approaching her in order to justify his actions. After that, he started running beside her before they started talking to each other. The outcome was the same the second time around as well. When he refused to move away from her, she took out her phone and warned him that she would report the incident to the authorities if he did not leave. And it seems that the next Christian lost consciousness. When the next day, August 21st, finally arrived, the morning of that day brought with it some very disturbing information. After being questioned for more than 10 hours, Christian finally gave in and agreed to direct law enforcement to a certain area of land outside of Brooklyn. It was out in the middle of nowhere, and when the policemen got out of their cars to approach it on foot, they saw that there was a gap between the rows of corn. And as they neared, their worst fears became true. Molly Tibbetts' body had been recovered after an exhaustive search. She was discovered half-dressed wearing just a sports bra and socks, and it was evident that owing to the amount of decomposition, her corpse had been there for some time because of the level of decay. Her body was found buried behind a layer of corn stalks. Christian admitted that after he confronted Molly as she was fleeing and she threatened to call the police, he reacted by killing her in a panic and finally concealing her corpse in a cornfield. He did this after he had approached Molly as she escaped. She had been stabbed many times in the breast, ribs, neck, and head. The number of stab wounds ranged from 7 to 12. And sadly, she passed away as a result of these injuries caused by severe force. Upon learning the information, you, everyone who was looking for Molly, including her family, friends, and acquaintances, was filled with hopelessness. Her quiet, which had held the town and the nation on the brink of disaster for weeks, came crashing down on them like a ton of bricks when it finally ended. And when they discovered the specifics of her death, that sadness was compounded by rage, anger that would eventually make its way into the public eye. Donald Trump has been quoted as saying that an illegal immigrant from Mexico was to blame for the death of his mistress, Molly Trump. And on August 22, charges of murder in the first degree were brought against Christian Rivera. And once it was discovered that he posed a flight risk, the initial $1 million bond that had been placed on him was up to the current $5 million amount. The narrative of what happened to Molly Tibbetts shifted from one of a disappearance to one of several killings, but the events surrounding her case would continue to play out in both the real world and behind bars. The following month, 
Rivera would proceed to enter a plea of not guilty to the charges. In spite of the fact that he first admitted to having murdered Molly Tibbetts, he has completely recanted that allegation at this point. However, investigators had already begun making their own discoveries at this point. Blood was subsequently discovered within the trunk of Rivera's impounded black Chevy and on the rim of his vehicle after it was subjected to an intensive forensic investigation. The vehicle belonged to Rivera. Molly's known DNA profile was subsequently matched to the DNA profile that was later found in the trunk of his automobile. This revelation almost totally confirmed that Molly was in Rivera's trunk that evening. However, the lengthy chain of occurrences that occur behind the scenes of bureaucracy will prevent his case from finding its way into the courts. Because of the widespread interest in his case, the proceedings had to be postponed for a few months and shifted to a different county for reasons of public safety. Then, in August of this year, 2019, his legal team submitted a request that was 29 pages long asking that his questioning not be permitted to be used as evidence since it appears that he was not properly told his Miranda rights. During that period, this indicates that everything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, even if you admit to killing Molly since you didn't read out the famous phrase. This is because anything you say may be used against you. They were unable to utilize his confession as an actual piece of evidence. Great. After petitioning a judge for further time and having the request granted, his trial was eventually postponed until 2020. However, in the year 2020, the coronavirus struck. But you can't halt the passage of time. And the trial of Rivera did not get underway until the 17th of May. 2021. Before charging him with murder, his legal team wasted no time in arguing to the court that the investigators had violated his rights in some way. They also claimed that the cops used unethical methods in an attempt to coerce Rivera into making a connection between himself and the murder. And when those shenanigans didn't seem to go down so well, they would finally try to charge Molly's boyfriend, Dalton for her murder by stating that he had cheated on her three years prior to the time of her death. During the period that she was missing, however, Dalton had a solid alibi on his side. Because of his job, he was over two hours away, and numerous of his co-workers were able to account for his movements. Additionally, it was quite clear how much he loved Molly. There was absolutely no justification for making such an allegation. Although Christian Rivera would finally testify in front of the jury, this was not a strategic move on his part. Since he first confessed, Rivera's tale has gone from being guilty but reasonable to shockingly foolish, despite the fact that he still maintains his innocence. He told the jury that supposedly two armed men had come to his house and forced him to drive them about town until they discovered Molly, and that they had then killed her, forced him to drive to the cornfield, and threatened him with the life of his daughter if he informed anybody what had occurred. 
He also claimed that the guys had forced him to drive them around town until they spotted Molly, and that they had then killed her. After allowing their clients to take the stand and testify with a narrative like that, the defense team has a very small chance of ever getting employed again. Good luck to them. With Rivera's non-compliant confession leading police to Molly's body, the CCTV footage, Molly's blood in his trunk, and now the preposterous tale, the police have a lot of evidence to work with. Christian was completely hemmed in by his circumstances at that point. And on that Friday, the 28th of May in the year 2021, Rivera was formally found guilty of killing Molly Tibbetts. The conclusion was reached a little after 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Rivera was found guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree after the jury deliberated for only seven hours, reaching their decision after only one day of deliberation and only one day of active debate. Thank you. As the decision was read out, Christian remained silent and expressionless. The man's lack of reaction to the verdict was comparable to how emotionless he would have seemed while watching the weather report. However, there was one more turn in this investigation to take. It was initially planned that Christian Rivera would be given his punishment on July 15 of this year. But, just before that date, Christian's defense team filed a motion for a retrial, claiming that two of Molly's childhood friends were responsible for her murder instead of Christian Rivera. And of course, this was complete bunk, since the court refused to allow any kind of new trial to take place. However, because of this, the date of his punishment was delayed. After all of this has been stated, Christian Rivera's sentencing is now anticipated to take place at the end of this month on the 30th, which, according to the time on my watch, is exactly two weeks from the day that this video is made available online. Because of the obligatory minimum punishment of life in prison that is carried by the state of Iowa, it is quite unlikely that anyone will ever have to fear being apprehended by this individual again. Individuals who decided to climb out of the worst periods of their life, confront evil in the face, and select compassion over fury became actual heroes as a result of this case. Call it leadership with a good heart or call it pure strength. Either way, this case brought forth true heroes in individuals. After the political turn that Christian Rivera's co-workers who had nothing to do with this case were targeted as a result of the political twist that Molly's disappearance was never supposed to draw. Christian Rivera and his wife departed Brooklyn, Iowa, taking their son, Ulysses Felix, who was 17 years old, with them. Ulysses was left at the ranch by himself. Since Ulysses lacked both a family and a home, there was nowhere for him to go. However, Laura, Molly's mother, considered what Molly would have wanted if she were still living, and as a consequence, she decided to adopt Ulysses providing him with the opportunity to continue his education and work for a better future for himself. And Rob, Molly's father, was at the forefront of the media coverage since he spent every waking hour of his life searching for his daughter while she was gone. Every day, 
It is crystal clear to see where exactly Molly gained her outgoing, warm nature. And time and again, this is something that can be said daily. Her parents, who were there for Molly every second of her existence and showed her nothing but love and support, chose love over hatred even in situations in which hate would have been the simpler response. And it's easy to see why Molly matured into the kind of young adult that everybody adored because she had a foundation like that. She had an infectious laugh and a gorgeous smile, and she was characterized as everyone's counselor. She worked hard for her own bright future, which was unfortunately stolen from her. However, the goodwill and strength continued after that point. After her body was found, a memorial service honoring Molly was held at the University of Iowa, which brought together hundreds of individuals from her hometown. The majority of those hundreds were the same folks who had spent the previous month looking for her over cornfields in the midst of Iowa's summer. And today, in honor of Molly Tibbetts and to raise money for child psychiatry at a local children's hospital, hundreds of runners from all over the country go to Brooklyn, Iowa, every year to take part in the Molly Tibbetts Memorial Run. Being in the profession of reporting on genuine crimes, it is quite evident to state that these tales seldom really conclude on a positive note or with a nice conclusion. At the end of the day, a life is always lost, leaving behind a family that is inconsolable and a large number of friends. But this specific instance was a challenging one for me to address. I had a lot of trouble with it. Molly had a lot of things working in her favor. She had every reason to feel secure in the situation she was in, and the loss of her life came far too quickly. However, why is it the case? There are many documents and films about this case's trial, and it's very evident how little Rivera genuinely cared during the entire process. Anger doesn't quite cut it. This man is a total jerk. It was not only Molly who suffered in the wake of this tragedy. Her close friends and family members were also deeply affected. It was disheartening to see so many keyboard warriors blaming Molly's parents and Dalton for what happened. While I acknowledge that I am technically one of these keyboard warriors myself, it was still disheartening to see so many others doing the same. Accusing others of having opinions based on a lack of education only adds insult to injury. That being said, I will not dwell on this topic any longer today. If you found this information interesting or learned something new, please remember to click the like button and consider subscribing to our channel. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope to see you again soon. Until then, let's look out for one another. Goodbye.